if you would turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 11, we're going to finish the Markian sandwich that we began last week. Last week we looked at Jesus uh, cursing the fig tree coming into Jerusalem, and then we skipped over a portion, which is not normal for us to skip over portions of the text. We skipped over it knowing that we were going to come back to it because Jesus finished up his uh, discussion of the fig tree last week. And so this week we go to that middle portion about uh, Jerusalem and the temple and the cleansing of the temple. Now just so we're all clear, we recall Jesus last week cursed the fig tree. He saw this fig tree full of leaves and the expectation was that there was going to be some figs to be had from this fig tree, but there were none. And so Jesus cursed this fig tree and came back to it. There was the appearance, there was everything in order, but there was no fruit. We were also uh, in the last bit of the text talking about whoever, whatever, and whenever type prayers. And my prayer for us, my prayer for myself this week is that I would be a person who would pray deeper and bolder prayers and more confidence in the Lord's plan and purpose for my life. And I pray that as you went about praying this week that you were a prayer warrior intent on praying not just for the smallest, not just for the most cataclysmic of things, but you are praying, Lord, your will be done. Lord, I am here praying, I am petitioning on behalf of a variety of things that you were more deeply seated into prayer. And if not, well, you can start again today, fresh and anew, right? The Lord's mercies are new for us every day, but... We get to this point that Jesus cleanses the temple, and we'll, we need to look at all that happened last week that we gathered. The cursing of the fig tree is going to fit in really nicely into this cleansing of the temple. So let's read it, and if you have your small half sheet, you can follow along or right alongside. Mark chapter 11, verses 15 through 19. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And as he was teaching them and saying to them, is, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it, and they were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out from the city. Let's, uh, let's pray together. Lord, would you, would you teach us? But again, we, we don't want to leave this place with, with just mere head knowledge or tapping our toe to good music. Lord, we want these words to affect us from the inside out so that we leave this place and get in our cars affected by what your word has taught us today. So again, Lord, we, we pray that you would open our hearts, illuminate our minds so that we would not just receive information, but it would lead to implementation into our lives. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name that we pray, amen. Let's look at our first blank on your outline is regulations that missed the relationship. Regulations that missed the relationship is the first thing that we are going to come across here. Now, as Jesus comes into this temple, let's, let's kind of have a, a, a right picture of what this temple may look like. Sometimes I, I picture this temple looking a lot like a First Baptist church or a Baptist church in our eyes. Sometimes we just kind of think that these temples that people are worshiping were much like our modern day understanding of the church or the temple, but let's, let's frame it properly, right? This temple that Jesus was walking into was about uh, 
500 yards by 325 yards, just the Gentile portion. That's 35 acres of space. So Jesus didn't just walk into the vestibule of the Baptist church and start cracking a whip, right? This is a large 35-acre area of ground that Jesus is walking around, and all that he's hearing is the selling of pigeons and sheep and all sorts of different sacrifices. So imagine this massive football field upon football field kind of area, and there all sorts of merchants and people are selling. In AD 66, Josephus, who was a Jewish historian, wrote that in AD 66, during Passover, 255,000 lambs were sacrificed right there at this temple. That's a lot of lambs, y'all. 256,000 lambs just over Passover, just that time, which is about the time that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. So 256,000 lambs slaughtered in this little area, sacrificed during the Passover. One merchant alone in this area could sell 3,000 sheep in a day. Again, that's a lot of sheep for one merchant to sell in one area. So this is not some small vestibule type area. This is not the Portacache of First Baptist Church, right? This is a big area of uh, this temple mount here where there's lots of room, 35 acres of commerce and activity, bustling activity. There's a lot of things going on right here in this temple. One commentator said it would be like going to a ball game and instead of hearing popcorn, popcorn, you're hearing pigeons, Pigeons for sale, pigeons right over here. We got some good, clean pigeons right over here, right? You've got smells everywhere. You've got stuff everywhere. You've got people buying and selling, bringing in cattle, selling whatever, right in the middle of what's meant to be a place of worship. And so these regulations that missed the relationship, right? The high priests and the scribes were intermingled into this commerce in a way that was really not wise. That the people started out as a positive thing, that instead of dragging their cattle from the far out land, instead of having to bring a pigeon from a far off place, that they would just buy and sell right there. But over time, the priests and the scribes got very too intermingled into this area where they were selling at exorbitant rates. They were taxing at exorbitant rates in what became a healthy temple practice of worship and connecting with the Lord became a, as Jesus called it, a den of robbers, a safe place for robbers to congregate and a sanctuary for robbers, not a sanctuary for worship. The undercurrent of the law and the regulations was to connect people to their God to recognize the need for atonement, to recognize their need for an atoning sacrifice, to recognize their need for God. And so they come to this temple to worship and to celebrate. Lord, you have saved us. Thank you for sustaining us. And so they're coming in to worship and to pray, but somehow this 35 acres of land has been anything but a place of refuge for all the nations to worship. I mean, essentially, in an instant, Jesus comes in, and he disrupts the exchanging, the sacrifices. He disrupts everything in a moment. See, these regulations missed the purpose of the law to get people connected to the heartbeat of God in their atoning sacrifices. 
The law had been set up to help people connect with the Lord. And Jesus is going to see a day when he would bring a new covenant that there would not need to be a law, but to be a fulfillment of the obligations of a God who loved so deeply. I don't know about you, but there's many a day where the speed limits in our town seem a little outrageous, right? They seem a little low, right? You feel it. You've been there. Don't, don't look at me with that condescending look. You've been there. Right? You've been driving around and you feel like that 35 could easily be a 45. It could easily be a 50, right? There's some days where you got things to be at and the, the speed limit feels like it's an hindrance from you getting where you need to go. But if you were to think about it wisely, you would recognize that that speed limit is there for a good purpose and a good reason. If you thought hard enough about it, you would, you would agree that maybe you could, you could go the speed limit. You should, right? I'm, I just want to make it clear. I'm not condoning speeding, Okay. But there was a day in which I needed no speed limit in my life. It was the day that I brought Micah, well, Brittany and I, brought Micah home from the hospital. It didn't matter if that speed limit was 60, 80, 100. I was going to drive with both hands on the wheel going like 25 down the road, right? Terrified of this tiny little being who was sitting in that tiny little car seat. It did not matter what the, the uh, speed limit was. It didn't matter what laws were there. I was putting on that seatbelt. I was double strapping in Micah. We were making sure that nobody came near to our car and we were driving half the speed of smell down every road that we went down. Right? Laws had no purpose because the obligation of love that I had in that back seat, right? Law was helpful, it was good for all the other people, but I didn't need it in that day because I was so stricken by that new birth that was in our back seat. I was so careful. I didn't need somebody to tell me what the law was speeding down the road. I was going to make sure that I was careful out of love to my child. Still drive that way to this day. Um, It's beside the point, right? Here we see that Jesus is going to see a day in which we're not so concerned about fulfilling every dot and iota of the law out of the obligation of love that we have for our Lord. Recognizing that Jesus has saved us from the pit of hell. All of our sins have been taken as far as the east is from the west. Recognizing what Jesus has indeed done for us. That even though we were sinners in need of a savior, he paid that atoning sacrifice. He took all of our shame on the cross. And so it's out of that obligation of love that we give him our everything. Not saying, Lord, I've got to fulfill every duty, every law that's there. But we say, Lord, because of what you have done for us, I'm giving you my everything. I'm giving you my all. And so here in this temple, the regulations and the law was meant to point people to Jesus, point, point people to the Lord and, and call them towards these atoning sacrifices to remove their sins. And here we have Jesus. But maybe you are asking a question that could come up when you read a text like this and you see Jesus and he drives out the, those who sold and those who bought in the same temple. He overturned the tables of the money changers and he, those who sold pigeons. Maybe a question would come up and you would say, Mark, I, I came to church this morning and I saw no pigeons in the church. I, I did not have any money changers who I needed to convert my tithe money into the appropriate uh, exchange rate. I didn't see any sheep or cattle down by the port of Cachet to be sold. So is this, is there anything here for us? Right? Is this text anything for us? Is that just Jesus talking about the temple activity and what's going on here? But I think as you look back to the fig leaves and look back to what Jesus did with the fig tree, he recognized the wealth of activity but the lacking of the fruit. 
that there are sheep and pigeons flying everywhere, there is sacrifice happening everywhere, but there is so much activity, but missing the very purpose of why they have gathered. We can have the shell, we can have the activity, we can have all the stuff in place, but if we're not missing the very heartbeat of what Jesus has called us into, to abide in him, then really it's just a whole bunch of activity. It's just a whole bunch of noise. And so Jesus is going to call us to not miss the relationship that he has called us into, and that's number two on your outline, the unifying joy of worship and prayer. Jesus, after he drives out those who were selling and exchanging, he comes and he begins to teach, and he says these words from Isaiah 56, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. This is what Jesus longs for. He desires in his temple to be a house of prayer for all of nations, for Jews, Gentiles, for all people at all times, to be a house of prayer. You mark that with what Jesus taught about the fig tree, that whoever, whatever, whenever, would be the calling to prayer. And you match that with what Jesus says, that my temple would be a place, my house would be a place of prayer for all the nations. Looking forward to Revelation 7 when every tribe, tongue, and nation will be represented around the throne room worshiping and praising. This is what Jesus longs for in his house. A house of prayer for all the nations. A place of worship and refuge. I can tell you, I'm thankful. Yes, that this is not a perfect church by any stretch of the imagination, but a church that so deeply takes prayer seriously. I'm thankful that this morning at 7.45, there's a group in the Welcome Center that began to meet just a few months ago. Before that, they were meeting at other times, but the 7.45 that met right there in that, in that Welcome Center, and as we prayed for 15 minutes, they then spread out all across this campus for 45 minutes and began to pray for every seat in this sanctuary, every classroom that the children are meeting in, every nursery bed that's over there, walked around the outside and the inside praying for you this morning, recognizing that you're going to walk into this place with heavy burdens on your shoulders and needs heavy on your heart. So a prayer warriors begin walking around praying earnestly for you. I'm thankful for our deacons that in a few weeks as we have the living Christmas tree, they will pray over every seat in, or every pew in this sanctuary, pray over every choir member's name. I'm thankful that for three years there's been a group at eight o'clock every night that gets on Zoom and prays for your needs and the needs of this church, the needs of the city, state, and nation. I'm thankful that every first Wednesday of the month, there's a group that meets right here on this altar and prays for you, prays for this church, prays for the needs of the city, state, and nation. I'm thankful for different times and places and occasions where Sunday school classes have had prayer meetings where they'll go to homes and they'll anoint with oil and they will pray on their knees for a brother or sister who is walking through a difficult season. I'm thankful for those prayer services that I've been a part of where we've opened a window to a dying saint and prayed over them outside their window on their last lap before they entered into heaven. I'm thankful that I walk into a hospital room and kneel down by a bedside knowing that I am not the only one praying, that there's a multitude of faith family members who are praying for that person laying in that bed as we go as a ministerial staff. I'm thankful that Monday through Friday, the church gets a prayer list and you as a praying people pray earnestly over every name that has experienced loss and grief, walking through cancer, that this is what it means to be a part of the body of Christ, a praying church. 
that doesn't just come together with activity and a bustling of programs, but prays for one another in the midst of our affliction and in the midst of our joy. The Lord calls us to be a house of prayer and a house of worship. In the midst of our programs and activities and our discipleship, that we would be a people on our knees for one another, on our knees for the lostness that is around us, on our knees for our school, our city, our leadership, our state, that we would be a people that doesn't just talk about it, but we would be a people that would get just burns on our knees because we're on them so often in prayer, that we link arms with one another. And you see Jesus in verse 17 say it. That as he drives out all this activity, he says to the shame of the scribes and the Pharisees, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations. For all the nations. And friends, if you're not involved in prayer in your own personal life, Recall what last week we talked about, that you have the access, you have the privilege to run to the Lord with your, you have it. You don't need to go through an intermediary. You don't have to come to one of us. You have direct access to the throne room of heaven to pray about whatever is on your heart. Whenever, whenever. The beauty of the body of Christ coming together, the unifying, the unifying joy of prayer and of worship. But let's look very briefly at this last few moments that have deeply hit me this week. The Pharisees or the scribes and the chief priests and their response to Jesus' teaching first is to dismiss and to destroy rather than to submit and surrender. And this is over and over again. As I read this passage of Scripture, I'm, I'm constantly blown away by the Pharisees and the scribes and the chief priests at their missing of what Jesus is teaching. Their attitude of dismissiveness and destroy rather than to submit and surrender. But again, so often as I point the finger at these, these people, I often have to look deeply into my own heart. And this week, the Lord has hit me square over the face with it. That the Pharisees here see Jesus talking about the den of robbers and the, the house of prayer for all nations. And their primary response is they're going to seek a way to destroy him. Is that not flabbergasting that this Jesus or they have seen do all the things that we talked about last week? Their response is, we got to destroy this guy. We've got to get, get rid of him. Most commentators would say that this act that Jesus did to cleanse the temple signed his death warrant on the cross. This paved the way for Calvary. And in those moments where I think, how could the Pharisees, how could the chief priests and the scribes miss this? I, I want to just, again, open the veil of my own heart to you that this week, as I've talked about the fruit of the Spirit and talked about the, the fruit and the figs, the Lord has hit me afresh and anew of some of those fruit of the Spirit that maybe my heart has not been too, too strong on. There's one in particular the Lord has really, really worked my heart on. And there's been, a, there's been a proclivity in my heart to simply just dismiss it and say, that's not that big of a deal. It's, it's not really even that spiritual of a thing. It's really not that, it's not that bad. And man, has the Lord hit me square in the face to say, you're doing precisely what you see in the text to dismiss it, to say it's not that big of, it's not that big of, it's not really hitting the spiritual aspect of your heart, but indeed it is. And if we're not careful, 
We can read the text. We can read God's word and we can dismiss it or we can try to discourage it or whatever it may be in our own lives without saying, Lord, afresh and anew, would your word hit my heart in all the right places? Would you teach me and shape me afresh and anew? Lord, and where I am off, would you change my heart? In a culture, in a world that would seek to just say this is of little to no consequence, they would dismiss it at every drop of the hat. As we read it, will we allow ourselves to submit and to surrender? And the second is this, that it is a challenge to their authority. As chief priests and scribes, this word is a challenge to their authority. And again, I just want to say we have talked about and talked about and talked about Jesus' authority. And friends, we stand on the authority of God's word in our life. Nothing else. And so this word is a challenge to the authority of the Pharisees. It's a challenge to their authority in the temple. It's a challenge to their authority as teachers. It totally undergirds the foundation of who they are. And so the same is true for us. When we recognize that this word is our authority, it does change our hearts. It changes our passions. It changes what we're called to. And so I'll ask you again, do you allow God's word to be the authority in your life? Or when it hits you properly, do you allow it to be? When, it, when it's not, do you run away from it or dismiss or discount it? I don't want us to respond in the same way the chief priests and the Pharisees responded. I want us to respond how we see the last blank of the outline is simply this, together. I want us to respond to say together. As we walk into a, a time of worship and as we walk into a time of renewed excitement for a commitment to what God has called us to here in this church. Together, we lift up Jesus and worship and we pray boldly. Together, I want to say a key word, together, let's lift up Jesus in worship and let us, as a faith family, pray boldly. Let's worship boldly and let us pray boldly how the Lord would lead us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this word. Lord, help us, help us to be found not with a bustling of activities, but a missing of the heartbeat. Lord, we want your house to be a house of prayer for all the nations, for anyone to feel the freedom to be prayed for and prayed over, Lord, that, that this would be a house of prayer for all the nations, for the rich and for the poor, for the hurting and for the rejoicing. So, Lord, let it be so. Lord, let us walk with you in prayer. Lord, let us walk with you in obedience. Lord, we look to you. We fix our eyes onto you as the author and the perfecter of our faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.